0: I'm a, oh, I don't what I want to say. I'm a big winner at these kind of games. It's a game I like to call Name That Guy. Name That Guy. That's what we're doing. We don't have a lot of time this morning, so we're just going to do a lightning round. Hopefully our technology is going to work. I'm going to throw up some pictures. You guys are going to be... Hit. Don't, we don't have buzzers. We didn't hand those out this morning. I forgot those They're in the trunk. This is what we do. Just shout it out. all right? As soon as you know this person, just name that guy. Okay, so picture number one. No, no, no. <laughs> name that. That is Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll. Oh, I thought you'd get that one. All right. Next. Ready? Let's name that guy. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. All right. Yeah, You guys are readers. All right. All right. Number three. Name that guy. Yeah. Ta- could guess, but oh, what? Who? What? Tolkien, Tolkien. or Tolkien, as the Brits say. So, who, yeah, so we'll, but that answer will go well, right? There we go. And, all right. George MacDonald. That makes you the winner, all right? Because <laughs> nobody knows who this guy is, but George MacDonald uh, was a Scottish writer, uh, a poet, and uh, a pastor, and he really, back in the 1800s, because he's, like, born from, like, 1805 to 1907, something like that was his lifespan, but he pioneered, he's one of the pioneers in the genre of modern fantasy and he actually had a huge influence on all the guys that we took a look at, huge influence on Lewis, Tolkien, uh, and, uh, and uh, who was it, Carroll, yes, and Carroll on that. Here's the big impact that he had on uh, C.S. Lewis personally is that C.S. Lewis was at, I just watched this last night on, a, on, a, on, a, on TV. It was a streaming, but it was a show. I can't remember the name but I'll tell you about it. But anyways, uh, so Lewis was traveling. As a young man, he was traveling. Uh, he was at Oxford at this time. He's a student, and he's an avowed atheist. He's thought this through. And so he is traveling and uh, he's uh, getting ready to take a, a train ride, and there's books for sale. And he looks around and he sees this book and he picks it out and it's by George McDonald. He has no idea who this guy is, never read him. But he picks the book up and he reads it during the train ride. And uh, what the book does, what McDonald does, is it introduces Lewis, C.S. Lewis, to a new concept. And that concept is holiness. That there must be a perfect being in order to make sense of the construct of reality as we know it. And that concept of holiness began to unravel. It was the beginning of Lewis coming to faith. There was a still a, a journey to go, but that was the, was the point of the unraveling of, uh, of C.S. Lewis, of his atheism, into faith in Jesus Christ uh, uh, along the way. And that is the power, the power of the holiness of God, the reality that there is a creator who is before us, beyond us, totally other than us, who is sovereign and good and in control, and perfect in every way. This morning we want to take a a quick look, it's not going to be quick, Uh, at Isaiah chapter 6. Um, and I want to begin with a, a phrase that you, it starts off. It says this, In the year that King Uzziah died. And that's the context. When you come into Isaiah chapter 6 of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, and, and the readers in the day, when they heard that, they're going, oh, that's right. Man, that was rough. That was a big deal. All right? uh, you get the full backdrop story in 2 Chronicles 26, but it's this. It's 740 BC. God is about to shake things up in the Mideast. He's been cooking up a new superpower called the Assyrians. He's raising up a new leader who has conquering on his mind. And uh, God's people, the Old Testament people, his Old Covenant people in Israel, they're now fearful of the future, Uh, they're uncertain about their future. They're unsettled, they're insecure about what's going on, times are changing, their hope was in a human leader, they they went all in with him, Uh, they were living comfortably and what they were doing in their comfort is that they were making a practice of rejecting God's word, rejecting God's way for their life and living in a way that instead of being a witness to the nations, the people around them rather than being a light to the nations or the the, the pagan nations around them, they were instead becoming just like them. King Uzziah, he reigned for 52 peaceful and prosperous years. People thought, so good, so good to have Uzziah in the office. In fact, the campaign slogan that they they had there, there was no campaign slogan, but they had it, it was this. We're strong so long... As Uzziah is in the house. That was what you saw on bumper stickers as you traveled around town. We're strong so long as Uzziah is in the house, y'all. That's how they worked it. Lots of, lots of fanfare for that. And Uzziah, he may have been a powerful leader, a wise leader, but because of his arrogance later in life, he became an ungodly man. And you can go back and read about it, but let me give you a paraphrase of what happened. Uzziah, he sinned because he went into the temple of God. He knew God's word. God's word had portions of the temple that were only open to his priests and to his high priests. Uzziah did what sinful people like you and me do is that he just did what he wanted to do. He didn't care. God said this. We say, I don't care. I want to do what I want to do. And so what Uzziah did, he went into the temple, and so he violated God's law, God's word, but he also violated God's presence, the holiness of God. He, he spurned it. And so God struck him with leprosy uh, on, the, on the spot. And so King Uzziah lived the remainder of his days estranged from God, isolated from people, and separated from the worship in the temple. And what, the, what happened back then is that King Uzziah became emblematic of the people at large. They, too, were estranged from God. They, too, rejected God's word. Generationally rejected God's word. They, too, um, uh, violated God's holiness. Uh, and they, too, were excluded from him. And so what God did was, as we move into Isaiah 6... Uh, Uh, The prophet is now bringing about the reality that God is going to strike them with the Assyrians. And uh, he's going to bring some punishment their way. Pain is going to be uh, the way that he's going to corral their hearts and thoughts. Back to him. Uh, One of the Old Testament commentators wrote this. He said, uh, speaking about the people, he said, Because of their sin, the people are not what they ought to have been, nor what they were meant to be. Do you ever feel that way? You ever think that way about yourself? I do. I have. I know what that's like. I'm not the person I ought to be, right? Not the person sometimes I was meant to be, that God wants me to be. How about you? So when you come into, uh, as we come into Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to talk to you. There's a dilemma here. And the dilemma is this. How can the, uh, the sinful people who, this group here, who generationally reject God's word, uh, who, um, who fall into the cultural idolatry that is around them and become like their cultures. How, how can this people ever become the blessed people of God, the obedient people of God, the witness of, for God to the nations around them? How can this happen? This is a dilemma. And... Isaiah provides a solution, because Isaiah himself, God's going to use him to be a beta case, an exhibit A, of how the holiness of God will work in a person's life, so it will be transformational, because in the midst of God, Isaiah, in the midst of God's presence, gets glimpses of God's holiness, and it changes who he is and how he lives. We'll see that as we play that out. I want to talk uh, real quick about the definition, the definition of holiness here. It is God's unapproachable, uniquely perfect moral majesty. There's no one like God. And the word is used, holiness is used, over 800 times in the Old Testament. Even I can't miss that, right? That must be important. It must be profound. It must have meaning and significance, right? That it has that much prominence in the Old Testament. Let me Can I give you, if you guys are tracking with me here, that's holiness. Can I give you the antithesis to this? The, The scriptures, the New Testament here, and we've coined it a little bit, talks about worldliness. The the, the antithesis to holiness, the holiness of God and the holiness of God in our lives, for for those who are followers of God, faithful to God, the antithesis of that is worldliness. Worldliness, as uh, David Wells writes in his book, God in the Wasteland, he says, worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age. Isn't that great? Worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age, and righteousness seem odd. Isn't that not the generation in which we live? Wrong is right, right is wrong. Exactly, I think. So here's what we want to look at this morning. The more we can glimpse the holiness of God, the more we're going to be growing in his grace. Why? Why? Because it is the awesome holiness of God that convinces us of our absolute need for him. For all things good in our lives. So this morning we'll take a look at three effects the holiness of God uh, has on us who believe. There may be 120, right? This morning we'll take a look at three. And there are these. One, going into the text here, it is overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. The holiness of God is overwhelming to it. We, to us, our minds can barely grasp it. And it, we see this in Isaiah. Well, Isaiah writes, "I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a, a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, uh, each having six wings. With uh, two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And they were calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So Isaiah is just he's struggling to try to comprehend this and try to uh, put into words what he is seeing in the presence of God. He's blown away, right, uh, with this. Seraphim, as you probably know, is just a translation means burning ones. Because fire um, is, is, um, is a symbol of, of the holiness of God uh, in the Old Testament. And so what they're, these burning ones uh, are, are doing constantly is they're saying these words, really they're singing this song, and it's, a, it's got one phrase, it's one chorus, it's, it's memorable, right? It's a continuous song, they're saying, holy, holy, holy. It's the only time, only time in the, in the, in the Old Testament that a, a quality of, like, like an attribute is mentioned three times and it's going to impress upon us the significance of it. So how do we begin to el- uh, illustrate uh, uh, this? Well, don't even try. You'd be crazy to try. That's what the kids say. But I'll try it anyways. It is this. Uh, you, you, I, I've seen this happen. I've watched this uh, on TV perhaps. Maybe you've seen it as well. Maybe you experienced it. Um uh, for instance, you look at old footage of, like, remember when the, uh, the, the Beatles show up, and they had the uh, back in the 60s, uh, and so they show up, and, uh, or a new movie coming out about Elvis Presley, and what you're having is all the fans show up, what are they doing? They're seeing, it's the Beatles, it's Elvis, right? And they're, going, uh, uh, they're fainting. Remember seeing that? They're freaking out, Woo! flopping over left and right. Uh, Why? They're coming into someone's presence, and they're so uh, blown away by that, being in their presence, they just pass out. That's crazy talk. gives us a little thing else. You say, well, what what else? Okay. Uh, I remember watching uh, years ago uh, uh, a television uh, morning show talk host. Uh, For some reason, they were doing something in the Vatican, and so they were there. Maybe there was a time there was a new pope uh, in town, and so um, they were there... uh, giving a live feed on that and um, they, were, they were in a chapel uh, hallway somewhere, and all of a sudden, and it wasn't supposed to happen, the Pope came their way, came down the steps and then he broke protocol, the Pope did, walked over and, and blessed them. And they here's these, these guys are professional spokespeople, news anchors and they're A-ba-da-jabba. they're like stumbling. they're just standing there because they didn't expect it, because they had held this, uh, you know, the Pope in such veneration, they're just blown away, blown away that he would come over and bless them or say something to him. I know, it doesn't live up to this, but we get glimpses of this, of, of what it would be to be in the presence of God, uh, like, like with Isaiah. So here's what uh, my point is this, is this. How are some ways then for us, do, do, do we get into God's you know, holiness? Do we get glimpses of God's holiness? And I want to push this out. All we may ever get this side of heaven are glimpses. That's the best you're going to get. Occasional glimpses. Um, you know, so... Um, and if we got the whole deal, we'd be dead. And so uh, we get these little glimpses along the way. Can I throw out a few at you? Say, so yes, hold it down. All right, here we go. One, his word. The word of God. So here it is, the, the, the spirit of God. You're reading God's word. You may be doing this every day. And it's it, even if it's um even if it's uh, what do you call it standard. This is what you do. It's routine. Okay, it's all good. Sometimes along the way, what God does, uh, you're reading God's word, and the Spirit of God comes upon you, moves within you as you hear God's word, read God's word, listen to God's word, and there are times when you will become overwhelmed. By the word of God, as it points out who God is, the holiness of God, and all those attributes of God, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, they're all connected to his holiness. You can't have the others if you don't have that. And so it comes upon us, it moves upon us. You read the biographies of great men and great women through the Christian history, and they all talk about these moments that they have where they, the, 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 the holiness of God, the grandeur of God breaks through into their lives. When I was a student uh, in college, I got to go to a school in Chicago, downtown Chicago. It's called Moody Bible Institute. And there was another school up north called Wheaton College. And back in the 1980s, my day, uh, there were many revivals that broke out on both those campuses a couple years apart. Each was uh, launched by a a series of chapel talks by different speakers. And as the word of God came out and forward, God (laughs) met. The people of God met those students and faculty and moved among them. Uh, It was a phenomenal time. There will be times when you're meeting with God when He will impress upon you who He is and all that He has for you. That's why we want to be in God's Word. Let me give you a second one. Worship and prayer. Uh, The Spirit of God witnesses to us in our singing and in our worship and in our praying. He witnesses to our spirit about the goodness of God, the holiness of God that that is there at all times. And we become at times overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the movement of God within us about his holiness, his perfection. And we see how worthy he is of all that we can offer him with our lives. I'm going to give you two illustrations from this. You say you want three, but I only have two. When uh, I had just come to faith, I was a young man in California. I was going to a church. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, we were there singing uh, one morning, and they had a special guest guy come in, and uh, he, was, he, was, he was going to sing, and so he did. And they had a great baritone voice, and he sang a song that we had never heard. I had never heard. We had never sung it there. And um, uh, it was uh, overwhelmed. Oh, no, it was, I'm overshadowed. And uh, it, it, the phrase goes, I'm overshadowed by his mighty love. Love eternal, changeless, pure. And everyone was moved by God. People began crying. Moved by the spirit of God in that moment. I don't know why, but God showed up. God shows up in worship. God shows up in prayer. Let me give you another example. We uh, Be Free Barrington and Be Free Summersworth uh, have sent teams down to a ministry in Cancun that works with um, people on the fringe and who are uh, in, impoverished and um, have no housing. And so uh, we've been able to go down and in a, a few days to a week been able to build them a simple cement block structure. So that these families that have nothing now have a place to live. And so this whole uh, ministry began because there were a group of young 20-somethings down there that were connected with YWAM, this international ministry. But they were really, and they were starting to set up a church uh, to work with the indigenous people down there. And so they began a, a celebration of worship and prayer. And it went from one hour to two hours to three hours to four hours, and it kept on going. And it wasn't anything planned. It just kept on moving. The Holy Spirit, you got, everybody's like, you want to? No, let's just keep on singing. Let's take time to pray. Let's read some scripture. And the Holy Spirit began to move upon them. And uh, one of the young women in the church began, she was a Spanish speaker only, all right? Indigenous. Began speaking fluent English, began telling them what God was doing, what God was going to do. Did you ever read anything like that in the Bible? Ever been to Acts 2? This is how it works. And so that ministry is flourishing still, uh, ongoing. This is what God can do. This is what God is doing. God is is at work. So uh, I hung out here a long time. Sorry about that. Three effects the holiness of God has on us who believe. One, it is overwhelming. At times, overwhelming. Overwhelming. The more we can glimpse the holiness of God, the more we're going to grow in grace. Why? Because the awesome holiness of God convinces us that we have absolutely nothing to offer to God. Nothing good in and of ourselves. And we grow by relying upon his grace and goodness, not our own. Three effects the holiness of God has on us who believe. One, it is overwhelming. Second, it is unraveling. Just like with C.S. Lewis, it's unraveling. And Isaiah says there in verse 5, Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. Uh, For I am a sinful man, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Uh, (laughs) uh, Isaiah just undone, undone, right? Gets who he is, looks in the mirror, sees who he really is when he looks into the presence of God. Uh, You know, look, he says, I've got filthy lips, I live among people with filthy lips, And the reality is the more we get to glimpse at the holiness of God, the more reality we get to see about ourselves, who we really are. Holiness, God's holiness, unravels us. It unravels us to our core. How many layers do you have? Listen, how many layers of self-importance do you and I have as Americans? How many layers of self-importance do we have? Uh, I I was at a a function, a, a... uh, a couple weeks ago, or a while ago, maybe it was seven years. I'll cover my, I'll camouflage myself. And um, we were sitting down, and uh, we were at different tables, we we're assigned tables, and we got to meet people I've never met before, but I just began to uh, enjoy um, meeting people and then going. Uh, a couple of people, shoot, I shouldn't say this, but I will, um, t- telling me all the important stuff about their lives, which was good. It's good to hear. But it was like, why do you have to tell me this? You don't need to make me think more highly of you. I'm just, it's pleasant to meet you. They're going on like 20 minute riffs, and then they begin getting competitive at the table. But what they had done, where they live, what they're doing these days, right? How many layers of self-importance do we have as Americans? Lots of layers, I see it in my own life, Uh, all right? How many layers of self-coping methods? How many layers of of self-security measures? How how many layers of self-preservation techniques, self-love mantras, self-excuses for sinful thoughts and behaviors and motives and attitudes and, and speech? How many layers do we have? Multiple, multiple layers. Every one of us has some factor in our lives that we're proud of to the point that, why? Because it makes us feel better than someone else right? You say, no, that's not true. It is true. Let me convince you of it. Just the other day, I washed and waxed my car. All right. Uh, I've got a, uh, a 2008 Toyota uh, Yaris pushing 200,000 miles, washed and waxed it, looking good. I'm driving around the borough of Barrington, New Hampshire. Stopping at all the stop signs. Looking to my left, <laughs> looking to my right at the filthy cars around me. Shifting gears, drive around, felt good about myself. Thought I'd mosey on up to uh, Gonick. Take a look around. Get in line at the Duncans, <laughs> please. Behind a truck, when's the last time you washed and waxed that? <laughs> Looking at my rear view mirror, oh, come on, Volvo, get a washcloth. <laughs> really, come on, <laughs> what am I doing? Finding a simple way to feel good about myself. Feeling better than somebody else. Oh, we play these games, we're very good at it, it's such a human thing. How many of you, come on, your kids are better than anybody else, come on. Yeah, see, yeah. Right? You've got to say that. Who's got the best dad here? Yeah, okay, Things like that. We all have that. It, it might, we, 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 that's called self-righteousness. But we might think we're intelligence. Well, I'm way smarter than other people. Beauty, you know, uh, our, our children, occupation, fitness, uh, reputation, style. We find ways to feel better about ourselves and be able to look down at someone else along the way. And it's God's holiness, His holy presence, uh, these things get exposed in us. And and we realize how truly unholy we are and how much we need His forgiveness and grace and revitalization. It says we glimpse the holiness of God and His grace for us in Jesus Christ and and His forgiveness, right? That that we get to uh, just get amazed by His grace. All right, I'll, I'll move on for time's sake. The more we can glimpse the holiness of God the more we're going to grow in his grace. Because it really is the awesome holiness of God and that, that concept, the realization of the reality of that, it convinces us um, that we have absolutely nothing to offer him in and of ourselves. Three effects the holiness of God has on us who believe. One, it's overwhelming. Two, it's unraveling. Three, it is redemptive. It's redemptive. Now, I'm going to say three words. You pick the one you like the most. It doesn't matter. Redemptive is renovating and it's restorative. So you think about this. You, take a, you buy a, a home and uh, you take it down to the studs. You just gut it. And then what you do is you build it back up the way you want it to be. That is what God does for us with his holiness. He guts us down to the bare bones and builds us back up to who he meant us to be in, in the first place. It's restorative. You go out and you yard sale or whatever, you, you buy an old dresser or, or an old table and uh, it's a beautiful piece of oak or, 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 um, or walnut, uh, right, or maple. And somebody painted it like five layers deep. So, know yeah, you got to take time, all this time, to strip off that old paint, sand it down to its original glory. What a beautiful piece of, of art and work this is. This is what God does to us through his grace in Jesus Christ. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see the coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Now your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. Wow, what a scene in heaven that must have been, right? And that redemption, this atonement, it... it, 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 uh, it delivers the forgiveness of sins for who we are aware of now and for all the sins that we commit in the future through Christ. For Isaiah, this has gone from a, a concept about God to a burning reality in his life. Right? It's gone from a doctrine to know to a lifestyle to live. And how do we know that? Because listen to the passages that follow. Isaiah is fired up right now. He, 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 we, he says this. <clears throat> Then I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. And he said, yes, go and say to this people. And usually, I've heard a lot of talks on this passage, it stops here. Because it doesn't get pretty after this. This is what God says, listen carefully. uh, 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 Yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. Harden the hearts of these people. Play, uh, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way, they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Then I said, Lord, how long will this go on? Because nobody wants that duty. <laughs> you know what, I've got to do this for a week? A couple weeks, maybe? Maybe i can tough this out for a month. God says, uh, uh, and he, uh, he replied, until the towns are empty, the houses are deserted, and the whole country is a wasteland until the Lord has sent everyone away, and the entire land of Israel lies deserted. If even a tenth, a remnant, survive, it will be invaded again and burned. Um, But as an oak tree leaves a stump when it's cut down, so Israel's stump will be a holy seed, and there's always the grace in the midst of the, the punishment here. So Isaiah's got to be thinking, what kind of mission is that? What kind of ministry is that? What kind of message is that? It's not a cool one, right? No one wants that, that, that call up. But here's in generally surely, they are resisting God, resisting his word, rejecting him. And now all Isaiah is getting commissioned to do is just go tell the truth about who God is. That's it, that's, that's the call. I think we're gonna do a, a tech thing here. Uh, you know the Mission Impossible, have you seen those movies? Uh, Mission Impossible 32 is coming out soon and I got a quick glimpse of it right here. Let's see what's going on.
1: North trail's closed. Oh? What about the east trail? Yeah, but only till twilight. Let's go, kids. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Before he died last year, Premier Kerkoska gave his daughter, Anna, a secret document containing the names of men within his government who privately favored friendly relations with the West. Word has reached us through diplomatic channels that Anna and her brother Alexei wish to defect. We know this is a plot devised by Alexei to acquire the document and at the same time capture American intelligence agents, thereby embarrassing the West. In spite of this trap, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to get the document and bring Anna Kirkoska to safety. As always, should you or any member of your IM force be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. <music>
0: speed was that. That's what I'm talking about right there. And that's a really nifty ringtone to get as well. Look, here, 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 here's my point in, in this. Is, uh, okay, I'm going to say one more thing because I can't do it. What was what, with those white boots? Walk, why? What does that get to Anyway, I move on. I've seen this too many times. All right. Um, here's the deal. Uh, our, our ministry, our mission as fathers of Jesus Christ in our generation is this to be faithful, to be faithful, to be faithful. Uh, God gets to define success. It's called being faithful, right? Uh, that, that's where we're at. We're responsible to be on mission, and God's responsible for the fruit that comes out of that. We're just called to be faithful. Um, can I get uh, someone to yield me their time, two minutes of their time, so I can give you uh, a vision of what this looks like? Anybody want to do that? Yield me two minutes of your time. Okay, I see that nod. All right, two minutes. We live in the United States of America uh, where the fastest growing group are the nuns, not the, not the women in black and white, the nuns, a group n- who have no belief system, uh, atheist, agnostic, no belief system. Um, they're increasing in proportion that uh, those who be- even believe in God are decreasing in the United States. Maine, next door, is the oldest state in the union. There are more people over sixty than there are under sixty in the state of Maine. You know what state is number two, oldest, to Maine? I'm going to tell you, New Hampshire. All right, New Hampshire is the second oldest state in the nation. Do you know what else New Hampshire is? We are the least religious, not least Christian, the least re- of any pick a religion. We're the least. We're in like twenty percentile the least in all of the United States. And these are the days that God has for you and me to live in this area. And they are phenomenal, phenomenal days to be in. Because we've got a mission to be faithful. Now, here's here's what I want to point out to you. That even though, here's the thing else that's going on in the United States. Christians, American Christianity, has been split six ways to Sunday in partisanship political partisanship, cultural partisanship, uh, you know, minutia doctrine, non-essential partisanship, split six ways to Sunday. So that we're, we're, we're practicing the tribalism that our culture practices as well in our own ways. So this is where we get to go to work. This is where we get to be witness, faithful witnesses along the way. But this is what we know from Jesus here. As Isaiah's on mission and his people are on mission, Jesus sends us on mission as well. And he tells us that his father is always at work, always at work. And God's brought this to my attention just recently in a couple different ways, and I'll share this. Our responsibility here in our days, and we have to talk about this as individual followers of Jesus and as the church, is how are we going to sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our area? Because that's on us to do, and to continue to do it, continue to do it. And so let me give you an example of what that looks like, and I'll use that example from my own failures, all right? So you don't think, gee, Chris, you're my hero. Um, it's like, you'll hear know, gee, Chris, I can do a lot better than that, which is exactly right. So I've had a couple of good run-ins with people that I've known for 20 years. And at my stage of life, um, what will happen is invariably people will come and they'll see you at the Market Basket or the Hannaford or wherever you're at, And they'll come over and they'll say, hey, long time no see. How are you doing? How are the kids doing? Now, here's the open. What I can normally do is say, oh, yeah, we're doing well. All things going great. How are you doing? They're telling me about their kids, and we can move on. Or what I can do is I can now bring God into the conversation. Right? And it's very simple. Now all I have to do is say this. Uh, Let me tell you something. We're, We're blessed. God has just blessed us. You know, he has an, he's answered some of our prayers, not all of them, but just recently, this is how he's at work. And then I can ask, no, I put God on the table. I'm not giving an, uh, an apologetic. I'm not giving a full-blown witness. I've just put God, because no one else is, right? I'm sowing the seed of the reality that there's a God, and I believe there's a God. You should, too. Just putting it out there. They're telling me, I just had this conversation with some people. They're telling me everything that's going on in their lives. What can I say to that person? I can say this. Man, let me tell you something. God is blessing your life. Whether you see it or not, God is blessing your life. I'm so happy for you. That's it. That's the beginning, right? Because I'm blown away that C.S. Lewis wrote a book and just got the concept that there has to be a holy, perfect being. And God used that to unravel his atheism all the way to the cross. What my God? He just needs a seed, a seed, a seed. And the Father is always at work, always at work. we got some work to do, too. we got some work to do, too, right? These are good days. These are great days to be alive and to be in the kingdom. All right, I'll close up with this. <laughs> I'll close up. The more we can glimpse the holiness of God, the more we're going to grow in his grace. And I push this out to you. Let God overwhelm you. Let him. Ask him to. Let God unravel you. Ask him to. Let God redeem you. Ask him to. These are great days. Can right. you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your uh, goodness, your grace, for giving us a glimpse of who you are, for your holiness, for your perfection, uh, for your love, um, for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, as we um, sing and listen to music, that you prepare our hearts, God, uh, to get ready to take communion uh, together and to celebrate that. Amen.
1: Would you stand? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Oh
0: While well, the music plays, uh, we're going to come forward and have uh, each table and take our elements. We'll return to our seats, and then we'll celebrate the communion together, okay? You come as you're ready. I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, "This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with My blood. Do this in remembrance of Me, as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again."
1: Stand, and sing, uh, Christ, our hope and life and death.